Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts, the medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend Jon Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, and welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are with our super producer, Paul Deccan. You are you, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Today's episode, we'll just cut straight to the chase, is about an epidemic in Hollywood that has existed for a very, very long time, longer uh, than anyone listening to the show today has been alive, unless they are sent more than a century old. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about the epidemic of sexual abuse in Hollywood, as well as the long-running active conspiracy to aid and abet the perpetrators of these crimes while punishing, suppressing, blackballing, and dismissing their victims. And that's the kicker here. This is the very definition of a conspiracy. Yes. Uh, it's something that's been swept under the rug, whether actively or just through inaction, for decades. And because there are powerful people involved who have connections in places that would be important to have if you were going to create a conspiracy such as this. And I just want to say that for, for me personally, and I think you guys would probably agree, is I just want to be an ally um, to – the folks that have experienced this kind of abuse and discuss it in as matter of fact a way as possible and put this information out there for folks that maybe don't 
know the depths of it. Um, but we are going to get into some descriptions of, of some behavior that is both aberrant and, and possibly triggering. So mm-hmm. just warning you right now. Agreed and well said. We want to caution all listeners that this episode does contain reports of abuse and may not be suitable for all audiences. Additionally, we have over the lifetime of this show, we have, we have covered things that may sound, you know, silly or irreverent, but we consider this a, um, a moral imperative on mm-hmm. our part and, uh, It's no secret that Hollywood is by and large often seen as a sleazy place. And although we always want to avoid painting things with an overly broad brush, Tinseltown has to a degree earned this reputation, a large degree. Yeah, there's uh, this thing you may have heard of called the casting couch. And this is a tactic that's been around for the past century. It's, It's the practice where a producer or a director or someone who is high up um, in the industry, in the movie industry in particular, will demand or perhaps even hint at sexual favors in exchange for a role in a film or for even an, a TV commercial or anything, really. Um, and they will try and get these favors from as- aspiring actors. That's probably the most vulnerable, people who are hungry and getting into the industry, as well as established, well-known actors who are trying to reignite their career or mm-hmm. something. And, or, or even just, ask, you know, go to the next level, you know, in their career. Yeah, absolutely. And not just actors, of course. We're also talking about members of production crews. We're mm-hmm. talking about anyone that could be involved in this industry. And that casting cow situation is so insidious because it almost – it doesn't require implicit – requesting of of a sexual act uh it doesn't you don't have to come out mm-hmm. and say it it's a lot of it is implied with subtext and there is this underlying sense that if i don't do this in one way or another i am not going to get this job or i am going to be mistreated in some way mm-hmm. or blacklisted yeah that real fear of being blacklisted is something that's that we're going to see play out throughout this story it's, yeah and it's a very rational fear because it does happen. It is uh, most terrifyingly happening to people as we sit in the studio today. It's often said that some people will do almost anything in the pursuit of fame and or power, but it's also true that people who acquire massive amounts of fame and power often have very little oversight regarding how they choose to wield it. Yeah, uh, we have an example here from one of the strongest voices, I think, uh, in dealing with this subject, Amber Tamlin. Uh, She wrote in the New York Times on September 16th, 2017. She says, For women in America who come forward with stories of harassment, abuse, and sexual assault, there are not two sides to every story, however noble that principle might seem. Women do not get to have a side. They get to have an interrogation. Too often they are questioned mercilessly about whether their side is legitimate, especially if that side happens to accuse a man of stature. Then that woman has to consider the scrutiny and repercussions she'll be subjected to by sharing her side. And, of course, uh, we would be remiss if we did not establish that this is not something that is solely limited to women. Absolutely. But but very much the majority 
of people experiencing this are women. And that power dynamic that we're talking about is has a legacy, you know, I mean, of these you think about these executives, these powerful male kind of dominating figures that own the town. And that has just been perpetuated over time. Absolutely. And abusers, depending upon their position, were historically protected and currently protected by powerful interests who often worked not only to keep the story out of the press, but also to keep these criminals out of jails where they inarguably belonged. The situation appeared to change or begin to change over the course of 2017. Prominent performers and executives who were once protected by this invisible system of power and influence found their victims speaking out, fighting back, and the crimes of these formerly untouchable individuals surfaced without suppression into the public sphere. Today, we're exploring this phenomenon to see how what was once most definitely the stuff Hollywood doesn't want you to know has finally gained mainstream recognition as the dire epidemic that it is. And along the way, we'll investigate several specific cases. Yeah, we're going to look at names like Harvey Weinstein, which kind of uh, kicked off this whole thing. Uh, Bill Cosby, which was even before that, that kind of maybe led to that uh, breaking point. It's interesting that Bill Cosby sort of felt like his own case where it was, you know, this very wholesome seeming man had done all of these horrible things behind closed doors. But Weinstein really cracked it open because he represents something else that that had its, I don't know, Cosby too. I mean, he was a producer. Mm -hmm. He abused many people that were seeking to work with him and for him. But for some reason, when the Weinstein revelations came about, Everyone started coming forward. Yeah, it represented the the larger structure of Hollywood. And it's not that much different with Louis C.K. He's another person we're going to look at, uh, a producer and director and somebody who is, has a lot of control. And we're going to look at a lot more people as well. And we're also going to briefly touch on the historical allegations, which were, again, for decades, somewhat ignored by the mainstream press and at least a lot of times kept out of the court system. I would say even worse than a crime of negligence or neglect on the part of the press is the crime of active attacking. And we'll end on some questions as well, not just who knew what and when, and not just what Hollywood as a whole will do in support of the victims, both unknown and known, but we'll also ask what happens next. Will anything actually permanently, significantly change. And here are the facts. As we record this episode, over 30 prominent men from various entertainment industries have been accused of sexual misconduct, harassment, assault, and rape. We have specific examples from Hollywood, and perhaps we should start with Harvey Weinstein. The allegations against Harvey Weinstein date back decades. There are Early reports, we're talking very early, all the way back to the 1970s, and they kind of continued uh, bit by bit throughout the years. But then in October of 2017, the New York Times published allegations of uh, sexual harassment and assault against this gentleman. Um, and currently, as we are recording this episode, there are around 30 prominent actors and over 80 women in total who have come forward with reports of abuse or attempted abuse, at least, by Harvey Weinstein. And Weinstein and his brother Bob uh, made names for themselves as head of the Weinstein Company, and I believe they also owned Miramax. Isn't That's that correct. Right? Yeah. yeah, and you know they kind of were a, an important force in 
mainstreaming indie film, I guess you could say. Sure, like, you're talking about everything from Kill Bill and going back in with Tarantino movies. You're you're talking about um, big ones, um, Lord Fre- of the Rings franchise, yeah, or or, uh, or magnificent works of art like Frida, mm-hmm. which Weinstein fought to suppress and then gladly took credit for when it won numerous awards. If you look at their top movies, you're looking at some of the highest grossing movies sure. around. It's a gold standard. In in some cases of uh, during these allegations, um, Weinstein's legal team spent great amounts of money to reach confidential settlements with the victims. In each case, the legal team was careful to include some kind of clause or language, arguing something along the lines of, this is not an admission of guilt, but that's a statement that rings false in consideration of the just the sheer amount of money uh, estimated to mm-hmm. be involved here. And, and, you know, they also, uh, he used spies to mm-hmm. infiltrate some of these groups to get information out of certain women that were accusing him of things. It, it goes really deep. And when you, PIs. And PIs. And you think about the conspiratorial aspect of all that, um, fighting back against people who are going to speak truth to power. Yeah, and lately there have been some new allegations that have come up. The director, Terry Zweigoff, who made one of my favorite documentaries of all time, Crumb, um, also did the Bad Santa movie, which mm-hmm. was interesting. But apparently um, in conversations with Weinstein, anytime he would mention interest in the actress Mira Sorvino um, – he would get a click. He would get hung up on. Mm-hmm. And that had surfaced uh, in another allegation from Peter Jackson involving Mira Sorvino saying that anytime her name came up, uh, there was just active aggression from from Harvey and his brother. And they, of course, denied it because that was specifically referencing the Lord of the Rings movies, which Weinstein Company initially was going to bankroll, but then they lost it to New Line. So the Weinstein line was, we had no control over casting because it ultimately left our hands. But then it's been corroborated with the Terry Zweigoff allegation. So there are a lot of levers a man like that can pull to keep things keep people hushed up about this kind of stuff, whether it's the victim themselves or anyone else in the industry that knows. And and back to the casting couch thing, the reason a lot of this is so insidious is you don't have to be told to shut up. You just there, there's this culture that pervades this, you know, town that's based around this particular industry where if, if you don't see someone that's really being brave and setting an example coming forward at great cost to themselves, like we're seeing now, Chances are you're going to be t- terrified into submission and just, you know, fear for your livelihood. And that specific case with Mira Servino is, has been corroborated, as you said. Uh, in addition, there's Rose McGowan, mm-hmm. whose career was also uh, cut short. Weinstein, like many other serial criminals, had an M.O. Yeah, uh, modus operandi. Yes, a mode of operation. It, his typically involved deception. For example, inviting an actor or a colleague to a quote-unquote business meeting only to later change the location, insist they hold the meeting at night in a hotel bar or in his office in his hotel. Uh, and then he would often be coming out of the bathroom in a robe or he would outright pressure them for sexual activity in exchange for casting consideration. And we have a specific example of Harvey Weinstein's behavior from before the scandal broke. Yes, this one comes from 2015, two years ago. 
Uh, a 22-year-old woman accused Weinstein of touching her inappropriately during an evening meeting at his Tribeca Film Center offices. Um, and it comes from the New York Times. So the New York Times did write about this. They, they had two stories. The first one was the allegation of groping, and the second one was this one. It says... The woman told investigators that Weinstein touched her inappropriately after telling her that it was important for casting agents to know whether her breasts were real. So, um, just in, that's insidious already. Uh, she contacted the police after the meeting and at the direction of the, de- the detectives placed another call to Weinstein. They recorded that one. Uh, and then during this call, Weinstein actually acknowledged that this episode had occurred. And then they had a follow-up meeting, this time at a hotel room, and uh, she wore a wire. They recorded it. Have you heard that tape? Um, I have not heard it, this tape. It, it is – shocking is not the right word. It's just he the way, he's so nonchalant about it and really? he's so matter-of-fact about it. And he basically just keeps telling this woman, this model um, – don't embarrass me in the, come into my, come into the room. Let's talk about this. Come into my room. Don't embarrass me. I'm at this hotel a lot. I'm a big deal around here. And then she says, he's tell, says, but you touch my breast. I'm not comfortable with this. Yada, yada, yada. And he said, look, it's, it's what I'm used to. He just says it, just tosses it off like it's nothing. Uh, Chilling is, is the, is the word I, I was looking for. Well, um, in the end, I'm going to read a quote from the article. Quote, this case was taken seriously from the outset with a thorough investigation conducted by our sex crimes unit. After analyzing the available evidence, including multiple interviews with both parties, a criminal charge is not supported. So um, nothing happened to Harvey Weinstein because of this. And, you know, you can get into the minutia of the law there about what constitutes um Sexual assault and abuse and misconduct and all of that. Uh, But it certainly seems like something very wrong occurred there and nothing happened. And this this could fill an episode entirely Mm -hmm. with uh, the exploration of Weinstein's crimes. Uh, We want to we want to paint a picture of the system at play here because it is a systemic Phenomenon. So let's move to Bill Cosby. Accusations against Cosby date to at least the 1960s, meaning they span the vast majority of the 79 to 80-year-old's career. He, like Weinstein or again any other serial criminal, also had an M.O. His numerous victims described crimes with a startling similarity. Uh, Cosby would make a drink or a beverage for the victim, slip a drug into the beverage, and then sexually assault or attempt to assault them when they lost consciousness. For example, uh, Christina Rooley was a 22-year-old secretary at a talent agency in L.A. in 1965 when she met Cosby. So she was a secretary, not an aspiring actor or anything. And she said that she alleged that he invited her to his home where she says she passed out after two drinks. It was foggy and I woke up in bed, she reported to Philadelphia Magazine. I found myself on the bed. He had his shirt off. He had unzipped his pants. I was just coming to. Cosby did go to trial. A lot of these folks have not even gone to a trial he went to a trial uh, in last June, and the trial lasted six days. It ended in a jury deadlock. Currently, as we record this, Bill Cosby is set to return to court for a retrial in April of 2018 on three counts of felony assault. And we talked about this a little bit off air. This is uh, this is a country with a rule of law, right? So. If there had not been a retrial, we would say that he had 
been tried and exonerated, right? Yeah. Uh, but he is still in the court system for this. And given his age, there are concerns about his lucidity, which to be frank with you is, is similar to some of the questions we have asked in previous shows about prosecuting war criminals. That's exactly what I was thinking. You, at this point, the general is in his 80s and, you know, he can't even really remember all the atrocities that, that he ordered way back in the day. But, but how do you bring something like this to justice? And does it, I mean, and it doesn't negate the existence of a crime. Absolutely. And Ben, you said how many actual official um, charges? This current trial in April of 2018 will be for three counts of felony assault. And I've read the accusers number as high as 48. Yeah. And many of these um, are sort of constrained by statutes of limitations that, that do differ state by mm-hmm. state. But there is a period of time past which you cannot prosecute these crimes yeah. anymore. And for further information on that, there is an excellent article uh, in Mother Jones that contains a map indicating the statutes of limitations for rape survivors or assault survivors state by state. And it is arguable with Bill Cosby's case that it kind of opened the floodgates for more people to outwardly discuss uh, some of this stuff. Um, I remember when Hannibal Burris like put it in a piece of his standup and I didn't, I knew nothing of any allegations against Bill Cosby at the time. Another one of those open secrets they always talk about. Yeah. Years before. And one of the most powerful things a survivor can hear after surviving is that you are not alone. Absolutely. So hearing somebody else speak about the same thing happening to them or a very similar thing is very powerful. And that's also what happened with another example we mentioned at the top, the comedian Louis C.K. In the years preceding 2017, Louis C.K. became one of the most famous, well-known comics in the Western world. His live shows repeatedly sold out. His stand-up specials played on repeat in households across the planet. His independently produced TV series met with critical acclaim. And he based his voice on this sort of self-deprecating, cynical, but ultimately honest character. One who readily confessed any number of controversial beliefs, apparently understandable yet edgy foibles and so on. However... There was a much darker side to the actual man playing this character on stage, and it was by his own admission eventually. Yeah, for, well, for years, rumors had swirled around the industry itself, uh, specifically the comics, people who ran the show there, about Louis C.K. being a powerful force in that world, but also backstage when, you know, when he's kind of in the dark, he was a bit of a monster. Um Specifically, there were female comedians, comics on tour with CK who would tell the same story over and over and over that this guy who is, you know, not their boss in any way on these tours, but he's definitely as the headliner, there's a position of power he's out there. Yeah. And, and he's a big name and he's a draw. And they, they said that he would corner them either backstage or at a hotel after a show and would force them 
to watch him pleasure himself. To watch him masturbate. Yeah. And while this was, as we said earlier, another open secret in the world of comedy, people outside of the industry only heard reports along the lines of a victim who does not want to be named has accused a very powerful comedian of sexual harassment or assault, but fears pursuing justice will endanger their career. And it's interesting in the same way that Hannibal Burris kind of like lit the spark that that sort of blew the Cosby thing mm-hmm. wide open. Um, comedian Tig Notaro yeah. had been openly criticizing Louis C.K. for not getting out in front of this accusation because he would be asked about it in interviews and say something to the effect of like, I don't want to, you know, justify it with or dignify it with the response. You know, it's it's utterly not true. And, and if I talk about it, it'll give it life in some way. And, you know, Tig, uh, who her, her show, uh, One Mississippi, was produced by Louis C.K. And she said that she was not aware of the extent of these allegations when she signed on to his production company or, or, or agreed to uh, sold the show to to Netflix. And it's interesting, too, because in a, in a similar way to something that Cosby did, Louis C.K. would kind of joke about these kind of proclivities in his routine, like in, in his stand-up. And his show. And his show. And, you know, like about, you know, being basically just an incorrigible horn dog. And there's even an episode of, of Louis where he kind of – Where he tells assaults, someone. Well, he, yeah. he sort of assaults Pamela Adlon's character who plays kind of his, you know, on and off again love interest. He pushes her against a wall and it ultimately kind of ends up – She's okay with it, but it's a little like knowing what we know now, it does not play well. And that's the same for Cosby. He had a bit where he talked about how the, the beauty of Spanish fly, Spanish fly, this aphrodisiac that you, he talks about slipping it to women in their drinks. And it's like in this very lighthearted, silly routine from his early super clean comedy days. So hmm. a lot of truth is told in jest, including unpleasant truth. And we have further examples after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. 
It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now we go to Kevin Spacey, the actor famous for such films as The Usual Suspects and Seven, as well as the Netflix adaptation of House of Cards. Spacey also stands accused of harassing multiple people on and off set. Again, this was a practice members of various Hollywood social circles knew about for years. The specific claim that brought this into the mainstream occurred in October of 2017, when an actor named Anthony Rapp accused Spacey of sexual assault slash harassment when Spacey was 26 and when Anthony Rapp was 14. Yeah, and there have been multiple accusations against Kevin Spacey, and a lot of them have to do with young men, very young men in their early teens. Um, and it, a lot of it is just so disheartening mm -hmm. that I don't even want to talk about it, but you can find it. Yeah, and this also will... You'll also hear uh, director Brian Singer mentioned in mm -hmm. some of these cases. Brian Singer, who directed The Usual Suspects, a film that, that made Spacey quite famous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as of the time of this recording, more reports of Spacey have surfaced. Police in the UK are currently investigating new claims against him. And one one crucial thing for us to emphasize here is that it is not just the film 
industry. Absolutely. And it's a, a, you know, it's, it's any industry where these sorts of inequalities of power exist. Um, the music and entertainment mogul Russell Simmons would be one, just one example from the world of music. And then even the world of celebrity chefs who, you know, end up in the television industry quite often, um, like Mario Batali and John Besh. Yeah, television host, newscasters, Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose, and and more. Bill O'Reilly is yeah. another one. We got Morgan Spurlock and Tavis Smiley, Jeffrey Tambor, Steven Seagal, Brett Ratner, Dustin Hoffman, Jeremy Piven. There's uh, a new one that just came out. T.J. Miller, who was uh, you know in, really yeah in uh, Silicon Valley, and he's a you know popular stand-up. Some allegations that date back to his college days just surfaced, where uh, a woman that he was apparently dating at the time said that he choked her during sex and penetrated her with objects against her will and left her bruised and, and bloody, and um, you know as he rose in prominence. And all of these other allegations have started to surface. This is what we're seeing is we're seeing people, okay, I've been carrying this around, you know, for a long time and I'm not going to do it anymore. And you finally like feel like you have an out, like you, you're not alone and that maybe, just maybe someone will, you know, take you, believe you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the case of uh, Miller, I believe they were originally in a comedy group together uh, along with the person he's currently married to. It's really heartbreaking, all of it. I mean, Absolutely. It, it's, and it just doesn't stop. And in in a way, it's it's cathartic, and and it's a it's a good thing to finally see some comeuppance. But it's also just so disheartening to see how much of or how many of the people whose art we we love and who you know we've been entertained by over the years are at the heart just like rotten rotten people. It, it's it's hard to fathom being a fan of a lot of the names that we have discussed, like over the years, supporting with our money, supporting with our like adoration. And while this stuff is going on, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. But the worst thing is that there are real, real victims who right. are, you know, out there and just having to deal with this in real life. Garrison Keeler, executives yeah. at NPR, the list goes on. And by the time this episode reaches the air, it is more than likely that there will be more exposed criminals to add to the ranks of powerful serial sexual abusers. I mean, in short, there's one thing we know for sure at this point, and that's that there are more stories that will come to light, but hopefully as this system of silence begins to break down. But here's where it gets crazy. All of the dates, the names, the facts and figures from earlier that we have just discussed are, as of this recording, conclusively proven. But these reports appear to be the tip of a sinister and tragic and and disgusting iceberg. It's at this point virtually impossible to know for certain how many actors, crew members, other studio or industry staff have also been victimized and – it's impossible to know whether all these criminals responsible for this behavior will ever receive punishment for their crimes. You know, because uh, as as we mentioned earlier, uh, Weinstein was booted from his job. He was fired. But that's 
not the same as going to court. But it's also only when it becomes a good business choice do Ooh. those things happen. And finally, we're seeing, and, and I think he's being very empathetic about this, but Ridley Scott, for example, had a film starring Spacey that was done mm-hmm. and they went back into production and cut Spacey out of this movie. And I think that was the way he tells it. It was the right thing to do, but it's also like it would have affected the grosses of the movie. So exactly. it's, it starts to like you see these decisions being made. Oh, thank God. They're finally wising up in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Are they? I mean, I, it just feels like, OK, finally, we have to act because it's the right business move. Right. Like Bob Weinstein. It is wildly implausible that he had no clue. What was happening working with his brother over decades? It's like the way Tarantino came out and was like, you know, at first I I didn't know and then kind of came back a little bit later saying I knew more than I let on. Mm-hmm. You know, these people were cronies. They were hanging out at parties together and villas and, you know, living the high life going to these film film festivals. You observe this kind of behavior and you, you can't not know. And people are. <sighs> The human species, out of all of the strange things uh, our enhanced cognition gives us, uh, the human species has one incredibly disturbing gift, which is the ability to rationalize why I or why an individual is doing something. People will do a lot when they feel like their career is on the line, and they'll ignore a lot too. Historically, Hollywood, like any other insular industry, or many other, I should say, has had a reputation for protecting its own. This has been a long-standing tradition. Uh, Roman Polanski is a great example. Roman Polanski, this is not alleged, he was convicted, it is proven, he drugged and sexually assaulted a child, a 13-year-old. And even today, in recent years, some members of Hollywood society have sought to allow him to return to the U.S. with no legal consequences. And in the past, his supporters in France, where he lives as a free man, have fought against extradition if it meant that he would serve time for, again, an assault on a 13-year-old child. Can I just leave now? I don't want to talk about this anymore. Well, I don't either, but we have – I mean, this this is what this show should be about, you know? You're like, absolutely right. It's just tough. This this is tough. Okay, Um Another person, Brian Peck, who in 2004 served 16 months in prison for engaging in sex acts with a child star who was working for Nickelodeon. Um, <clears throat> this gentleman, Brian Peck, continued to work for Disney when he was out of prison. So he did this terrible thing. He went to prison for a little while and then he got to continue to work with kids at Disney. Uh, right. He went on, uh, he was in two X-Men films. He was in three Living Dead films, uh, and he was in two Disney television shows, I believe. Mm-hmm. And this was, this was afterward. One that I think is another profoundly disturbing example is a director named Victor Salva. You're familiar perhaps. Matt Knoll with the films Jeepers Creepers and the films Powder. Salva made both of those after he was convicted in 1988 of sexual crimes against several children that he had cast in an earlier movie. 
Uh, law enforcement agencies did find commercial child pornography in his home. He pled guilty to every count. He did actually go to court. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was sentenced to three years in prison, of which he served 15 months, so a little over one year. He completed parole in 1992. Jeepers Creepers became a franchise. Victor Salva made his most recent film as of 2014. Again, a free and powerful man. And we won't even get into Woody Allen. Uh, another aspect of the system of silence, the the sexual abuse being so prevalent in Hollywood, did not apply solely to one type of person, not to a single age group. It was and is pervasive. For For decades, allegations of sexual violence against children have just been dogging the industry, with multiple former child actors offering their own experience, their first-hand knowledge of these crimes occurring, uh, both in the past and some of it actively. Mm-hmm. For example, Elijah Wood maintains that he only managed to escape this sort of abuse due to the vigilance of his parents. Uh, one thing that is apparently common here is that often what happens when child actors enter the industry, or what did happen um, was that managers, producers, directors would isolate the kids from the supervision of their parents. You know, the kid would be emancipated, right, and work as an adult. Even that initial Spacey story where Anthony Rapp accused him of uh, coming on to him inappropriately, Mm -hmm. he was a kid at the time Mm -hmm. and was at a party for this Broadway production that they were both working on. And to hear him tell it was too young to really kind of hobnob with, with some of the old folks couldn't drink. So he was just sitting and watching TV. And as the night progressed, he kind of stayed there and then Spacey just sort of came in there and uh, took advantage of him or tried to anyway. So, you know, uh, it requires utter vigilance <laughs> from yeah. parents. And so Elijah Wood counted himself very fortunate, but he said that he and his family and everyone else were fully aware of the presence of this sort of abuse on and off film sets. In an interview with the Sunday Times, Wood indicated that he believes this is uh, systematic, systemic, and much larger than a handful of offenders operating alone. We have a quotation here where he says, Clearly something major was going on in Hollywood. It was all organized. There are lots of vipers in the industry, people who only have their own interest in mind. There is a darkness in the underbelly. What burns me about these situations is that the victims cannot speak as loudly as the people in power. That's the tragedy of attempting to reveal what is happening to innocent people. They can't be squashed, but their lives have been irreparably damaged. And Corey Feldman backed up Wood's claims in 2016, notably. Yeah, he went on to say, um, quote, I'm not able to name names. People are frustrated. People are angry. They want to know how this is happening. But unfortunately, California, conveniently enough, has a statute of limitations that prevents that from happening. Because if I were to go and mention anybody's name, I would be the one that would be in legal problems. And I'm the one that would be sued. Yeah, and that is a terribly poignant thing that he said there. And we're going to continue exploring this extremely dark subject after word from our sponsor. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. 
We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In November of 2017, the former child actor, current musician Corey Feldman spoke with Vanity Fair about his experience with child abuse in the film industry. And while he was refusing to name all all of the offenders that he says he's aware of, he is planning and hoping to create a film that will, uh, from his perspective, finally and uh, inarguably irreversibly expose the active pedophilia rings operating in Hollywood and beyond. Uh, he does believe the abuse he and his colleagues encountered as children caused irreparable damage, and he attributes the death of his friend and fellow actor, Corey Haim, in part to this abuse. And he has a quote where he says, It's all connected to a bigger, darker power. I don't know how high up the chain that power goes, but I know that it probably is outside of the film industry too. It's probably in government. It's probably throughout the world in different dark aspects. And we know that this um, this concept of sexual abuse rings operating had in the past been relegated to the domain of just wild, alarmist conspiracy theory claims. But we also have seen in recent years with what's happening in the UK with Jimmy Seville, uh, with the international – pornography trades or rings trading pornography online. These things or something like them, what Feldman is talking about, do indisputably exist. And uh, Feldman did name at least three men. Yeah, some of those names were a child actor manager, Marty Weiss, former actor John Grissom, and the owner of a place in Los Angeles called Alfie's Soda Pop Club. Alfie Hoffman was this man's name. And um, I did not know what this was. And I looked it up and it was basically a disco for child actors mm-hmm. that operated for a handful of years um, between 1986 and 1989. And the whole idea was that, you know, it's it's um, clientele would be um, 16 or younger and they were able to get – you know, uh, an alcohol-free environment where they could have a dance floor and yeah, free you know, free soda pop all night. Free soda pop all night. None of this sounds creepy at nope. all. No, it really, really does. Yeah, and it it was apparently a toxic environment, especially as it got later in the night. There were a lot of things that occurred after parties that occurred even after that stuff. These are allegations that are made um, in several places by multiple people. Um, the Alfie Hoffman name came up when Feldman, uh, Corey Feldman went on the Dr. Oz show and I guess their staff went through all of the different things that Corey Feldman has written over the years and they tried to piece together who it might possibly be, this person that he keeps mentioning. And um, Dr. Oz showed a picture of Alfie Hoffman to Corey Feldman without showing anybody else and asked, is this the man? And Corey Feldman, Feldman says yes. And then they go into uh, a lot of these allegations that we're talking about. In his Vanity Fair interview, he said he could name six people right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Uh, So according to him and other survivors of this, this is a systemic thing, which makes it organized crime. 
not only that, there's a, a, a great article, great, I guess is probably the wrong word, but an article in Vice called Him, Himself, and He, mm-hmm. and it is about Corey Haim's experiences uh, in this environment, specifically in the, the Soda Pop Club. And as you know, Corey Haim was Corey Feldman's uh, co-star, best friend, and uh, you may or may not know also that he became penniless and uh, addicted to drugs and pretty much died alone, I believe, in a hotel in L.A. with, you know, no no work, no career. Um, and that systemic thing you're talking about, it, it, it really summed up here in this quote from Haim from this video that, that he, he was part of in 89 called Me, Myself and I. Um, and it goes like this. Growing up on movie sets has its ups and its downs. I mean, sure, it's great. You get lots of attention. Only three hours a day of school. There's makeup and wardrobe, movie premieres, limousines. It all sounds like fun. But when you're 12 or 13 years old, you're very, very impressionable. And I know it's easy to get off track. Like me, some of you don't have moms and dads to bring you up. I mean, let's face it. It's tough being a kid. So be smart. Don't get messed up. Stay in school. Be anybody you want to be. Which overall is a very powerful and, and, and positive message from a survivor. Yeah. Except he wasn't a survivor. I mean, he, it, it is ultimately this life, to the way I see it, you tell me, you argue, you tell me I'm wrong, ultimately ate him away, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like we talk about Elijah Wood and having positive reinforcement and somebody looking after him and having his back through all this stuff. He seems like a really well-adjusted human person when you see mm-hmm. him today. That's Yeah, that's what I was saying um, earlier that Feldman also attributed this fall. I guess what I mean by inspiring is on a on a personal level for him's character, it is so profound that he was able to make this a message to other people. That's very true. I hundred percent. Yes. Um this is this is not the only video on this subject. There's a documentarian named Amy Berg who addressed this ongoing scandal in her film An Open Secret, which includes statements by victims and later attempts to expose criminals within the film industry. According to supporters, factions of Hollywood conspired to stop this film from spreading, just like um, just like somebody, an anonymous buyer, bought that Discovery documentary yep. that came out a few years ago uh, about sexual abuse uh, within the halls of government, right? Yeah, that one was called Conspiracy of Silence. And you can find at least most of the film online if you search for it. Yeah, on YouTube. And we haven't even gotten into how this has affected politics. I mean, we're starting to see a lot more uh, resignations in politics because of these kinds of accusations and it actually affecting people's careers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, the pieces might move slow, but, but, Hopefully they, they move in the right direction. Hopefully the old adage is true. Hopefully the wheels of justice grind slow yet exceedingly fine. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned politics here because in, in one of the things that people reexamined when so much of this abuse came to light concerned Anita Hill yeah. and current Supreme Court judge Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill, uh, going back to the earlier quote Matt brought us at the top of the show, uh, was interrogated, right? Was called a scorned woman, was, um, roundly undermined 
in the course of the investigation. And now Clarence Thomas is on the Supreme Court of the United States. He's one of the nine ring wraiths that runs this democracy. And although, you know, this situation was deemed consensual, look what happened with Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton was ultimately, I mean, he, you know, had some egg on his face, uh, but he ultimately was walking around today, giving speeches, doing fundraisers and heading up the, the Clinton Foundation. And Lewinsky was just totally demonized and dragged through the mud and made to look like some sort of awful home wrecking, you know, mm-hmm. demon. Some yeah. vilified person you have to ask yourself is, is in that kind of power dynamic, if that kind of power dynamic exists in an interaction, is it possible for a real consent to occur? It's, mm. you know, I, it's, it's an inequality of power and an inescapable one. And critics of the film and open secret believe it misses the mark on the importance of the abuse by presenting things in a disingenuous or misleading manner. And, while that might be up to the interpretation of the person watching the film, uh, none of the critics of the film are saying that this doesn't exist. No, no one in their right mind is saying that abuse does not exist in Hollywood. And I would hope no one in their right mind is arguing in 2018 that uh, abuse doesn't exist in politics. It clearly does And as we draw this episode to a close, we do want to note that at this time, uh, many of these accusations, these allegations, these criminal acts have not been examined by the court system. Yeah, so just keep that in mind when you're thinking about all this stuff. They haven't seen their day in court yet. And we have some questions. We hope that we have presented this, again, profoundly disturbing topic in the light that it deserves, which is not a series of isolated cases. This is not a series of one person being monstrous. It is a series of multiple events occurring and multiple other people working to cover those events up, to keep them away from the public eye, to use private eyes to keep them away from the public eye, to literally conspire against victims. She was saying at the top of the show, this is – the very definition of a conspiracy. We, we, we know that that's what this is. There is no theory involved. Absolutely agreed. And so we want to end today's episode on some questions. Do you think more revelations will follow? Yes. Absolutely. And they're going to continue to follow. And I think the child sexual abuse scandal is the next thing that is going to topple probably at least one entire section of the film industry. I I really do think that's coming. And another question that you have asked us, uh, folks, is what enabled these revelations to come into the public sphere now? The records conclusively do show, after all, the multiple victims continually came forward in almost every case only to be blacklisted and ignored. And again, we are we've concentrated on Hollywood here because that's where mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff is coming from. But it would be um dishonest to say that it is limited in any way to Hollywood. I mean, we haven't even mentioned the the Me Too hashtag, which became not only uh, like a, a standard that people were able to bear for this cause, not only in the film industry, but people in general, you know, you just saw it 
it just blew up on the internet. Me too. And there's this real sense of this. We don't want to think about the fact that this happens to people. I was talking with my mother. I had dinner with my mother who was an opera singer and she experienced this kind of stuff all the time. And it was just accepted. It was like, you just keep your mouth shut. You do this, whether you're a secretary, whether you're a star, you're going to have powerful figures, typically powerful male figures that are going to take advantage of that, especially back in the 60s and 70s as we've seen this progress. So thank God we do have these digital ways of spreading this like wildfire and finally shutting it down or at least starting the process of shutting it down. Yeah, it's what Ben said at the top, having that message of I also experienced this and then having it amplified at that level. I think it just created a, a current that mm-hmm. would allowed for it to happen. Uh, I I think that's what happened. Right. So what what you know going back to that what enabled these revelations to finally be treated I would say seriously by the mainstream media. Uh, you will hear people saying that Weinstein somehow wronged an invisible system and then that's why he finally had to pay for his crimes but i'm concerned that that diminishes the strength of the people who spoke mm. up you know what i mean he just got caught in a way that you could no longer cover up there comes a point where you reach critical mass where it's like okay it, it, will you weigh it are we going to keep covering this up or are we just going to like Throw this guy under the bus because he's a cancer and we can no longer support this behavior because it is not in our best interest as business people. Mm -hmm. And that's sad and gross, but that's what happens on the business side. You know, that's what I, but in a cancer analogy, wouldn't you say Harvey Weinstein is almost like getting a biopsy, just a tiny part of it taken out? Hmm. Whatever, whatever the reasoning is having it happen. Is better for the body, quote unquote, the the, yeah. the the human condition. You know, like that's a good. Yeah, I, I don't know, but I do feel like it, it. These things only happen when it when it costs somebody too much money, and that's when they finally will will you know kick someone to the curb. Someone mm-hmm. as powerful as a Harvey Weinstein. And one of the other things that has to be said here is uh, we kind of mentioned it already. But it's not just in Hollywood. It's not any of these other places. It's it's in homes across this country, across the world. It's in, you know, at bars and churches. This kind of thing is everywhere. And just having a brief conversation with my wife last night about this topic, she mentioned to me specific ex- examples that she knew of in our circle, like the, our friendship circle of, of women who've been abused. And it is so prevalent. So lastly and most importantly, if you or someone you know is a victim of abuse, whether sexual, physical, or otherwise, remember that there are other people who can help you. You can contact them directly. All you have to do is call 1-800-656-4673, and uh, you'll be connected with a trained staff member from the National Sexual Assault Telephone Hotline, and that person can help you right now. You are not alone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode as we... As we established several times throughout the show, uh, this is an ongoing phenomenon. So if you are listening to this at a later date, it uh, there may be information that was not available as we were recording the show. Uh, we are going to head out. You can contact us directly in the meantime via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And if you would rather just send us an email directly, you can do that too. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. 
like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.